0: I know now that we've gotten into such technological age where we use our phones to guide us everywhere, but traditionally we had paper maps and we picked a destination and we found the best route to get to that destination. Your vision, your ideas, your goals are that destination and you have to have something tangible. It helps to figure out the best way to get there.
1: Are you new to working from home? Maybe you're figuring out how to manage a distributed team. Are you homeschooling your kids while trying to get something, anything else done? You've come to the right place. Work Life at Home talks with both newbies and experts as we explore the tools, tips, and techniques that will help you make the most of this new way of working. I'm Josh Freeman. Welcome home. Working from home has its emotional ups and downs, even when you're doing it by choice. And when you're doing it because you have to and you're not used to it, it can be even harder. My guest today is Nikki Lee. She's a licensed mental health professional who works with individuals and families in New Orleans. Her practice is called Solace Chateau, and it's located in a working class neighborhood a few blocks east of the French Quarter. Her clients are regular people dealing with the unfamiliar stresses of working from home or being out of work. And among other important issues, Nikki is focusing on breaking the public stigma around seeking mental health therapy. Her practice has changed during the pandemic, and so have some of the issues her clients are facing. We're going to explore how people can better cope with working and living in the same close quarters, or perhaps with being more isolated than they're used to how they can find ways to stay balanced, present, and even, dare we say, happy in a time of strain and strangeness. Nikki Lee, welcome to Work Life at Home.
0: Thank you so much, Josh, for having me. It's a true pleasure to be here. Thank you. So let's start
1: with taking a look at how your practice is normally set up. Why don't you kind of describe just a you know, kind of quickly what your practice is like and how you normally interact with clients?
0: Well, I am a traditional therapist in the sense that I prefer to see my clients in office face to face. My office is a very zen, I like to call space. Uh, very calming where I have like a trauma therapy as well. Um, kind of like off to the side. Um, to help ease and relax people as they're talking about things that are really troubling them and, and figuring out ways to uh, find solutions to the, the things that they're having difficulty with. Since we've entered this pandemic, I've had to completely shift that. And it has been <laughs> very seamless, I will say, but okay. more so my own uh, professional bias to. You know, wanting to be amongst people because you have more of an impact when you can be personable and touch people and shake their hand and, you know, look them directly in the eye and bond with them in that way. So my practice generally outside of these unprecedented times is face to face in an office setting, very comfortable and cozy so that people can, you know, troubleshoot their difficulties.
1: Mm -hmm. And so now you get to do teletherapy, right?
0: Yes, I do.
1: How does that go? (laughs) (laughs) How do you even do that?
0: Uh, Well, you know, lots of platforms in terms of the electronic health record world have existed for some time. Um, Thankfully, I had access to one uh, very specifically for some time. I just didn't really utilize it. And how it is set up is simply... um, Everything is electronic. So consent forms that clients will sign when they schedule an appointment. Um, There is a unique link that they are emailed for the session. Mm-hmm. Um, they are requested to be in a quiet place where they can have privacy and be uninterrupted. And <laughs> Good that luck un- with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. And that unique link takes them to a secure HIPAA compliant video where we can speak privately about what they're having difficulty with and kind of work towards their uh, their goals that they establish. So. I have clients that have done their sessions um, in bathrooms, in the house, in their cars. I have a few people that like to be outside in a park. So, as long as you are somewhere safe and secure where you're comfortable with anyone that may be within earshot hearing our conversation, I try to get people to be as isolated as possible so that they can have their privacy. Um, but, you know, some folks are dealing with child care, pet care, et cetera, at home. And and we tend to get interrupted sometimes. So I try to be mindful of that, but it does work. That's
1: great. What's the platform called? Do you mind? Uh,
0: The platform that I use currently is called Simple Practice. Um, It is a a platform that is electronic health record based for um, a lot of counselors, chiropractors, uh, behavioral health therapists, um, optometrists, it's like several different uh, fields that utilize this particular system. And it's one that is um, offered by the American Counseling Association. Okay. Uh, there's a big partnership that they have. And so how I was introduced to it. And I mean, it's a very user-friendly platform from what I've seen so far.
1: Cool. And switching to teletherapy, I imagine that there are some things about it that actually might even be better than face-to-face or mm-hmm. at least as good. And then things that are absolutely difficult. And I'm wondering, you know, what those two extremes are.
0: Absolutely. So one, one part of it, the difficulty is, is going back through established clients and making sure that they have signed the actual consent for teletherapy. Mm. Um, because there is a separate consent for it that details some of the things that I mentioned earlier about, you know, being in a secure quiet location as much as you can possibly establish um, that you are in a safe space because more often than not, you are talking to people in their homes. Right. And if there is a domestic violence situation that you are <sighs> working with the client to sort through it and plan for you know are you safe you know are you somewhere that especially if anyone is dealing with some type of uh suicidal thoughts or anything of that nature where are you because in the, in an office setting in my office i have protocol in place to deal with those situations as they arise yeah. because if you're physically with me i can make sure that you are keeping safe whereas on a telehealth platform you could be anywhere i don't mm-hmm. know where you are yeah And so there are are consents that we have to have in place for clients that kind of outline safety planning as well for them too. The easy part of it um, is you get to see clients in their home. So there's a comfort level that's there because they're coming to you live from their couch. They're coming to you live from their favorite chair. You know, I have some clients that will talk to me while they're kind of like propped up in their beds because it's really comfortable. And so, there are different elements that are at play, and those I think the consent is the more difficult part of going through your entire caseload and client list like, "Hey, did you sign this consent? Let's sign this consent and make sure that they know like the terms and how you know teletherapy is is implemented
1: does it give you does seeing them in their homes give you insight into their behavior in a way that helps you with therapy?
0: It can. It can from the standpoint of seeing the family system. So I am a trained marriage and family therapist, and we work under what's called a systems theory and understanding how behaviors are formed based on how your system is structured and shifting the system so that it works more efficiently for you based on what you're looking to have the outcome be. In the home setting, you can see more kids busting in, mom, dad, I need you, blah, 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 versus pets that bust in. And and you can see how a person responds to unexpected interruptions in a natural setting. Nothing, you know, it doesn't have to be anything wrong with it necessarily, but it just kind of paints more of a picture.
1: Yeah, I would think so. Because certainly in, I mean, in, in day-to-day business dealings, when you're doing zoom calls, you definitely Mm -hmm. have a sense of a better sense of the person. They're not able to put up the front, you know, that you usually would in a business environment and you can really get a, a feeling for what their life is like. And, you know, I imagine that's not always a great thing in business, but in therapy, I would think it'd be fantastic.
0: Oh, it's it's wonderful. Yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of community based agencies that do home visits with people and this allows for safety of the clinician Mm -hmm. to still get similar information because there are clients that walk around the house with their phones or computers you know Uh, so you see more um moving from room to room etc without having to physically be in the home environment especially if there is some type of volatile situation occurring so
1: how about let's talk a little bit about What the most common concerns are that you see about people who are working from home, especially people who are, I assume you must, you know, you have a range in your practice. So you have people who are going to be, who work from home normally, like they might be a writer or they might be a designer or whatever they are. And Mm -hmm. then you got people who are stuck working from home, who used to work in an office environment or some other environment. And then you got people who are unemployed and that's a whole other problem. So let's, let's start with. I think the newbies, the people who are new to working from home, what comes up for them and what kind of advice do you give them?
0: So I think the most prevalent issue for the newbies working from home has been having difficulty separating work time versus lay time. Mm-hmm. Having this pandemic in play has removed the uh, time we spend in travel to and from home to our offices. So you're talking about commute time being 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe even longer for some people. Mm-hmm. Now that time has transitioned into, I don't know what to do with this time, I guess I'll work. Yeah, <laughs> And that increasing their stress level, because now they feel Man, I thought I was going to work from home and it would be easier, but it seems harder. I seem to be working more now that I can roll out of bed in my pajamas and kind of log on and move my mouse and start to answer emails, phone calls, et cetera. They find themselves having an increased amount of stress because, oh, my God, it's 9 p.m. and I'm still working.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Yes. Those of us who worked, worked from home for years know about that one.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's newer for the newbies, obviously, because Absolutely. they have a separation of, oh, you know, the end of their day, whether it's four five, six o'clock, there's that period of time that they use for commuting. So it's like a, it's a separation where they can listen to music, kind of decompress from their day and get home and, you know, do their, their evening routine, night routine.
1: So what do you think people can do to, to either create a transition Mm -hmm. or to be comfortable with the fact that there isn't a transition and, you know, just change over or whatever. I don't know.
0: What do you think? Where possible, I often talk with people about how they can stand outside for a bit, get up and move around because we tend to get uh, hyper-focused on our, our, our wonderfully technologically savvy devices, whether they be smartphones, computers, laptops, et cetera. And we find ourselves in the same position for hours on end in a day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, I hear this from people that I see that they can go hours, 12 hours. They've worked. And having taken a break to eat lunch because time just kind of blends together completely. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I really work with people to do is ironing out during their day when they can actually stand up and move around and sometimes standing outside for five to 10 minutes. If they can safely do that, I don't know what type of neighborhoods, you know, or environments they're in, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if it's raining outside or if it's excessively hot, like just making sure that they're doing this safely, but having a separation of, I'm going to go into this room because this is a separate room, a quieter room, just to have some separation. I'm going to walk outside for 10 to 15 minutes to have some separation and then I'll get back to my task because people are at home and just staying in one spot for a long period of time. And it, it tends to play on you.
1: Sure. Do you find that's true more of people who live alone than people who have kids and, you know, distractions, basically?
0: Absolutely. You're, you're more isolated folks for, you know, because they're the only person in the household.
1: Right. So do you think it's actually kind of a way of coping and filling the time?
0: In terms of the, um, being by themselves or getting up and moving?
1: No, being by themselves. It's that idea of working straight through for 12 hours. I mean, I know if, if I'm around here, I mean, I'm married and I have, You know, I have nice distractions and I've been doing this a long time, but I know if I'm, you know, if I'm here by myself, I definitely can get lost in work and be working Mm -hmm. for hours without even thinking about it. And Mm -hmm. then suddenly wake up and go, whoa, I haven't stood up in, you know, four hours or whatever. So, and it's, it's mostly, I don't know if it's a, so much a coping thing as it, in my case, as it is. I really love my work. And so I just get involved in it and it just get in the zone and time just blows by. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a nice way to fill that time. But I can completely see how you can also get lost in and use it as a crutch. And that's obviously not healthy.
0: Right. The other factor that can play into those who are living by themselves and working from home during this time is they are taking breaks, interestingly enough social media. Mm. So if there's a lull within the project where you're waiting for uh, another team member to say something in order to complete something further that you have to do, oh, let me log on to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and see what they're talking about. And then you have another bit of a time suck because that is a break, but it's also you not moving. And so hours have passed. Oh my gosh, I'm behind on this project. Oh my gosh, I haven't gotten up to stand and stretch in four hours because there's been some level of play in addition to the work, mm-hmm. but there's no movement.
1: Right. And you're still getting all sorts of endorphins from the social media.
0: That's right.
1: So it's very addictive.
0: Yes. Yeah. So getting people to stand up and like, wow, what do you mean stand up? You know, they're not even thinking about it. It's kind of like an autopilot. They get into and I'm like, yes, yeah, stand up and actually open a door and go outside. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It sounds silly, but if you do it enough times, then you will have a, a separation from, okay, I'm going to take a break. So, you know, I'm actually hungry. I didn't even realize I was hungry till I stood up and came in the kitchen. You know, it's that kind of a, you have to kind of trick your mind into taking care of itself because you can get so locked into something, especially if you don't have outside distractions like a spouse or children or pets where you're just isolated and ingrained in whatever you're doing.
1: One thing that I know that I do that helps is whenever I'm on a phone call, I stand up. Yeah. Just, it's almost an automatic thing. Unless I have to type something on the computer while I'm on the phone. I'm basically walking around, pacing around and, you know, just doing anything besides sitting here. And it helps.
0: It does. Especially if you don't have to be on a video call, like you can get up and move around. Like Mm -hmm. no one's watching you, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a good
1: one. Then we have people who have lost their job or who are mm-hmm. furloughed from their job,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that's a whole other kind of stress. Yes, and it's it not is. really on topic in the sense of working from home. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of people who are coping with it, and maybe who are also coping with, let's say, a spouse or a partner mm-hmm. who's who's in that situation while you know while they're they've still got a job or they're working and. That's got to all be very weird for people. So it is. G- tell me about how that goes and what you're seeing.
0: Yeah, with that particular crowd, I would say that there is a high sense of worry, but that high sense of worry is manifesting itself in depressive symptoms. And I'm always careful to use clinical terms because they become buzzwords. Mm hmm of late because there's been so much conversation around mental health, yeah. um, to where, you know, if you're down in a dumps, that doesn't necessarily equal depression. Your mood in terms of your, um, sadness, disappointment, worry, stress is in relation to what you're dealing with environmentally. And if you have a spouse or you yourself have been furloughed or, um, you know, let go from your job because of all that is going on. It makes sense for you to feel that way. There's like a sense of hopelessness. So one way to target that is to use the time to try to plan and it doesn't have to be all day, but Mm -hmm. thinking of ways that you can utilize the time that you now have to do things that you put off because you were working whether it was actually going into work or working from home. What is it that you've put off? Projects that you wanted to do? Hobbies you wanted to get back into? Because what I've seen, and it's wonderful to see, is a lot of people have taken this time and turned hobbies into something that can generate income for them.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: It does. And so getting people into that you know, non-traditional mindset to where they've been so ingrained in a a habit for so long to step outside of that and do something with their time that's somewhat constructive. Enjoyable, yes. But how can this be turned into something that you can utilize for your betterment? Mm -hmm. Even if it is to look for other jobs too, but just not being sedentary in one particular place. Like I can't do anything. The world is falling in on me.
1: The thing about worry. That's sort of interesting is how we can, you know, wring our hands and churn things in our heads. And if you can get it out of your head and onto a piece of paper Mm -hmm. or somewhere, make it into something that's physical in the world, then you can deal with it. It becomes a project. It becomes something that you can cope with and you can write down some answers to it. And you have some plan and some way of, of moving forward. But if you just let it roll around in your head all the time, you have that horrible waking up in the morning at four o'clock and, you know, (laughs) kind of freaking out. Yeah. Um, But writing it down helps enormously.
0: Right. And making it visual, you know, vision boards, I know were very popular in the last few years or so where they were like vision board parties. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, that's great. People are actually making plans with things for themselves, for their lives, things that they want to accomplish. The difference in, um, setting goals for yourself in your head, it's like, it's an idea, something you can visualize and see, but it it makes a big difference when you can actually look at it on paper or on a poster board with a picture to say, yeah, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. Because then you start to formulate steps to get to that. What I often liken it to is a map. I know Mm -hmm. now that we've gotten into such technological age where we use our phones to guide us everywhere, but traditionally we had paper maps and we picked a destination and we found the best route to get to that destination. Your vision, your ideas, your goals are that destination and you have to have something tangible. It helps to figure out the best way to get there. Kind of like using a map. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's good. Mm -hmm. I like the analogy. Well, one issue Mm -hmm. is here we are many, many people working all day inside their home and Mm -hmm. then being with that same group of people all evening and and all morning and all the time. And there must be a bunch of, I don't know, cabin fever that Mm -hmm. takes place that you get to deal with. So (laughs) how do you, how do you, uh, how do you see that manifesting? And then what do you tell people in terms of dealing with that?
0: Yeah, I, I, it's a desperation, you know, it's like the line of, I love you, get away from me. Um, because there's just this fatigue of. Here's the thing. I I think people have to ease themselves into the idea of giving themselves permission to be away from their loved ones. Because in in more normal times, you are away from your loved ones. If you're going into an office, if you are going out with friends or going to see extended family, relatives. Now you those things are inaccessible. So yeah, the cabin fever thing. Huge, <laughs> yeah. um, a, it, which has increased people's irritability to where they are making choices and decisions that are in desperation and not the best decision because it's not well thought out. It's more made in frustration. And what I talk with people about oftentimes is how they can think outside of the box of their circumstances because everyone's circumstances is different, even though we have similarities amongst us based on what we're. Uh, commonly dealing with, but where can they in their lives, in their day to day routine, switch things up? Whether it's to safely take a drive, you know, like one of the parents take the kids out for a drive for an hour or so. That's safe to do because you're not coming into contact with anyone, you're just driving. Right. I'm a big fan of being outside, weather permitting. And in New Orleans, as you may know, it gets exceptionally hot here, especially in the months of July and August. (laughs) Yeah. Uh So I caution people about that. Like if you can do it early morning, because I know young children tend to get up very early. And if that is the time to shift your routine instead of lounging in bed or like having them watch cartoons, like maybe this day you can take them outside in the backyard or to the park for an hour before the sun really gets burning and, you know, tries to scorch the earth. So there are things that you can do. It's just a matter of figuring out based on your unique circumstances, how you can think outside of the box in terms of switching up your routine and schedule, because it, it it is necessary for each of us, no matter how much we love a person, to have some separation.
1: What's happening along the same lines with uh, homeschooling? How are you seeing people coping with their children not being able to go to school, You know, making space and time for learning from home, parents mm-hmm. feeling frustrated perhaps about not being able to help their children or not knowing how to help their children, and yeah. then... I also assume there's plenty of parents who just don't have access to the to the technological support to do online learning. So,
0: yes, yes, that is a huge frustration. Um, What I have talked with people about and gotten resources for, there are entities, there are businesses that are providing more tutoring services. So actual teachers who have left the classroom. And other educators and have decided to take the stance of being a tutor. Mm -hmm. And so they are safely meeting with students um, at a scheduled time to help go over certain um, lessons with them, which has been helpful because it gives the parent a bit of a break, even if it's for just 30 minutes to an hour.
1: Are these socially distant physical meetings or these are more online things?
0: Yes, these are socially distant Physical meetings. So, doing things with the kids like in their backyard or on the porch, more so on the porch because they don't enter the house, from what they've told me. They've met people in parks or in common areas to try to help with this as well. One thing I've also talked with parents about in the two parent household whoever has been the person to kind of stay on the kids about lessons and such, switching that out. Because when you have a schedule and it's one person doing the same thing all the time, that's how frustration can build. That's how resentment can build. Right. So switching those roles periodically throughout the week. So if you take Monday, Wednesday, I'll take, you know, Thursday, Friday and Tuesday's a toss up, however you set it up. But making sure that there's a differentiation of who's doing what, when, so that it's more of an equitable split, and not one parent doing more of the other. For the parents that have difficulty accessing the tools that are needed to do online learning, that's really a big challenge. And I know that each state, city, school district is doing their best to try to meet that need. I would imagine that people have been utilizing libraries as best as they possibly can during this time um, because of the access that you have um, there. So it is prompting a lot of frustration. So what I do with them, as I said earlier, being a systems theorist, trying to learn their system as best as possible to find ways to shift the system to help it work more efficiently.
1: What do you or do you have direct contact with the kids? Do you see behavioral issues with them and what do you tell them or what do you tell their parents about that?
0: Primarily, I work with adults these days um, because their parenting is what's going to help shift the behavior. Yeah, Uh, I have worked with children in the past and it's very enjoyable, but I find that there's there's a higher impact in terms of shifting the environment to help the behavior improve, Mm -hmm. getting the parents on board to better habits for the kids, depending on what the behaviors that they're seeing, because, I mean, the kids are stressed, too. They want to see their friends. You know, they don't really some depending on the age, you don't really understand what's happening and the fact that they can't go to school traditionally, and there are some schools that are going back in person, it's a matter of really trying to understand what the children are feeling in their stress, in their worry, what's happening, why can't I see my friends, and what behaviors are following that acting out. If they are becoming defiant, if they are um, refusing to do Assignments or, you know, being dishonest about this assignments that they're doing. It just depends. But getting the parents to be on um, as close to one accord as possible, as far as disciplining and structuring things for the kids Because kids enjoy and need structure. Adults do, too. Mm -hmm. You know, so going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, transitions during the day, the kids need that as well. So, you know, making a chart to where your schedule is visual, that helps. I've had parents that will do a sticker system if the kids complete a specific assignment they get a sticker and I mean obviously this is for your more uh, elementary aged kids yeah yeah um but just trying to have a, a small reward system for Tasks being completed properly and keeping them on a set schedule because that helps everybody in the household.
1: Yeah, there are principles that become sort of obvious with elementary school kids, mm-hmm. but the underlying idea of it, like the structure and the idea of reward systems, works with all ages of people. Mm-hmm. And you know, you just need to find appropriate awards, like maybe rewards. Sorry, maybe it's it's you know, you get to watch some cool TV show that you wanted to watch. If you complete blah, 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 whatever it is, right. Or maybe you get, you know, some time on your cell phone or you get to, I don't know. I don't know what kids, what teenagers really want, but whatever they really want seems like you can use it as a carrot to get the behavior that you, you know, that you need in the family. And also that's good for them.
0: Right. And teaching them about earning things based mm-hmm. on work that you put into something. Cause there's, there's that underlying lesson as well.
1: What about acknowledging their own fears and feelings about this? Yeah. Because uh, this has got to be the scariest time to be a kid mm-hmm. in a century, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you just think of like a kid feeling like everybody's got masks on and, you know, yeah. walking around and knowing, not knowing somebody has something that can kill you and yeah. having real no, no real sense of, uh of what that means or how to cope with that. Right. It just must be fantasy city for kids. And this is going to affect the way humans behave for a really long time, I would think.
0: Yeah. And it's difficult because of we are naturally social personable beings where we hug, we shake hands, you know, we're, we're greeting each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for children, acknowledging their fear helps that because I think one way that pathology tends to occur is when we attempt to say I'm okay when you really aren't feeling okay mm-hmm. and feeling safe to share that I'm not okay with those around you is one of those things that's highly valuable. Parents creating a space for their kids to say, you know, I'm feeling disappointed today. I'm feeling worried today. I'm feeling stressed and allowing them to share what is prompting those feelings, what what things are coming about with that. You know, some parents can get into this mindset of, you know, we got to make rainbows and butterflies all the time for kids, which I understand you want to protect their innocence. Mm -hmm. At the same time, kids are so perceptive that they pick up on so many (laughs) different things that adults are too jaded to really see and acknowledging that for kids, mommy and daddy are scared. We don't know what's going to come of this. We're frustrated because your children see that on your face and your mannerisms, your body language. And for you to, uh, you know, be tense and tight and, and body language kind of drawn inward Mm -hmm. And they say, Oh, what's wrong? And you're like, Oh no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. But I see you crying. You're not okay. You know, just being honest with your children because they're feeling the same things and they're going to try to comfort you because that's what kids do and, and, and kind of stuff down their own emotions. So creating environment where everybody can speak freely and respectfully and, and talk about their uncomfortable emotions like sadness and anger, stress, worry, etc. It helps the children to have a better relationship with the world around them so that their imaginations are just that, but they have tangible information to utilize to ease that distress they may feel.
1: It's interesting, this idea of modeling that behavior, that mm-hmm. parents are so... As you said, you know, parents are so protective and they think that they can fake it, basically. And kids (laughs) can see right through the fakery. And if you can model the idea that it's okay to feel stuff, it's okay to be angry and it's not uh, disastrous, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not a crisis if mommy's crying and sad for a minute because... That's an emotion and it'll go away and it'll become something else eventually. And if they, the kids can see that, then they can feel like, oh, it's okay if I cry. That's fine. That's right. And it'll go away. And it's not That's someplace right. I have to stay the whole time. It's just an emotion like any emotion. And it changes and you get comfortable with that.
0: That's right. Absolutely.
1: You mentioned our tendency as humans to be social. Yes. And there are people among us who are extremely social who are extroverts mm-hmm. Yes, and who I'm sure are feeling crazily cooped up and frustrated. Yes. And maybe those are some of the same people that go to bars without masks and all that stuff and yes. put themselves in danger and everybody else around them in danger. But, yeah. but what do you, what advice do you have for people who are naturally gregarious and really miss That kind of social interaction. And particularly if somebody is like that and they live alone, you know, Mm. that must be really difficult. So, do you have any thoughts about that?
0: It is really difficult. And for those people, I empathize with them greatly. I'm a hugger, so I miss hugging people. And I can imagine that, you know, your uber extroverts who love parties, love gatherings, are having a tough time being isolated and at home. Um, I know that a lot of people have been utilizing various applications that allow for video chat. So Zoom, House Party, FaceTime, Google Duo, there are all sorts of little platforms here and there where you can video chat with people. And it's a nice placeholder, but it does not replace being able to shake someone's hand or give someone a hug or a pat on the back and spend time with people. What I, what I tell people or talk with people about is how they can safely visit other folks. For example, um, I helped take care of my 86-year-old grandmother. And I have not been able to hug her since March, which has been really tough. But whenever I go to visit with her, I always make sure that I take exceptional precaution in being in her space. So taking your shoes off at the door if you're going to visit someone so that you're not tracking anything in their home. Mm -hmm. Immediately going to the restroom or bathroom to wash your hands. Making sure you keep a mask on the entire time that you're visiting with someone. I know those things may be difficult to do in like a public setting, for example, a bar or a restaurant. But for those uber extroverted people who can you safely visit where you take those necessary precautions and you're not bringing anything that could potentially be harmful to them or to you, even if it is to gather outside. A lot of people are doing gatherings in terms of like if they have a driveway, we're going to set up chairs outside in the driveway and we're gonna have a you know glass of wine, a, a beer or some water or something, and sit outside. But again, weather permitting. So you have some options. They are limited, but doing what you think is best in that moment and in the safety of the other people and yourself involved. And the biggest thing is taking the extra precautions.
1: Right. Well, if you're an extrovert, I assume one of the aspects of being a, an extrovert and a gregarious person is that you do connect with other people. You do have a sense of of them mm-hmm. uh, and, and wanting to make sure that they're okay as well as just yourself. Yes. And so coming at it from the point of view of how can I be super sure that I'm not endangering them? And still connect with them. And that's in a way, that's a sort of virtual hug that you can give them.
0: It is. It is. And checking in on people, because I know my grandmother and I, whenever we do see each other, it's tough to not hug because that's our habit. But, you know, she understands, as do I, like we have to make sure that we're keeping each other safe, more so her than me, even though I'm immunocompromised as well. But she's elderly, And even though she's in decent health, the last thing I would want to do is potentially track something into her home that could kill her. So, yeah, Yeah. it's like a virtual hug to she appreciates every time I'm able to go over there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting thing is what can you do if you're that kind of person? Right. That can help a lot of people. And there's a lot of people that need help. And so there's avenues for participating in social programs and food right. programs and yes. all sorts of stuff that help housebound people and yes. you know maybe members of your own family.
0: That's right. Keeping in, how can I do this safely? How can yeah. I visit you and not harm you or myself?
1: And then we have the other end of the spectrum. Yes. Introverts.
0: The people that I worry about.
1: Okay. And they tend to self-isolate. They, yes. tend to, they tend to feel stressed out, I think, by a lot of social contact. So mm-hmm. they're, if they're the kind of person who has to be on Zoom meetings all day, mm-hmm. by the end of the day, they're just exhausted from the, from the, the interaction with all those people. And they need yes. probably some solo time and some time to do what they feel like doing. And mm-hmm. they probably get resentful, I would imagine, after a while mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. self-destructive. And uh, what what are you seeing and what advice do you have for those kind of people?
0: For the wonderful introverts of the world um, who are actually some of my favorite people because they're so perceptive and intuitive and kind, not to say that extroverted people cannot be those things, but introverts tend to have a sixth sense in a sense. Hmm. Um, The biggest thing that I have with them is one, checking in with them. How are you feeling? You know? checking in with themselves, like, okay, what's going on? How am I feeling today? Which is something I know that they do often, but getting them to share that with someone else. Mm -hmm. Them having a point person, someone that they will talk to fairly regularly, how they can unplug from all of their duties and tasks when time permits, making time to unplug, because that's a big thing. Clients that I've talked with that I know are more introverted on the spectrum, they have done things such as do not disturbing their phones, getting books, you know, listening to music without any type of uh, electronic, you no know, TV. You know, some of them have record players, so they're they're disengaging from like the light and sound that we are barraged with in terms of our electronic devices. Right. Some of them have actually taken to going like camping. Huh, sure. Again, weather permitting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're finding campgrounds and they are purposely going to areas where they have a poor signal.
1: Huh. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> strategy.
0: <laughs> yes. And kind of forcing the unplug. And so I'm, I'm a big supporter of if you have the ability to take time off from work, whether it's paid leave, vacation time, sick time use it. I understand that we tend to bank things in case of an emergency, which is always smart to do. But taking the time when you have it and utilizing the time so that you can do things like this, even if it's just to sit in your pajamas and watch Netflix all day, go for it. Because Mm -hmm. that's your time to do what you want to do with your day. And it's disengaged from your computer, your email, phone calls, text messages, because we can be inundated with people needing things from us or wanting to talk with us about whatever projects you're working on with work. Mm -hmm. And so I've talked with clients about setting a vacation response when they do take off from work and removing work emails from their cell phones, because that's a thing. You can always add it back at a later point in time. Mm-hmm. But if you are on vacation or you are taking time for yourself and you are constantly seeing emails come through to your cell phone or your smartphone, it's very difficult to have that resistance to not answer it or not open it or read it.
1: Especially because we can't travel right now. Exactly. And so your vacation is likely to be a staycation of a some staycation. kind. A
0: That's and right.
1: you got to make it real. That's Right. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right you have to have separation, and so I have clients that have done things like ordered one of those inflatable pools for their backyards mm-hmm. and they've taken that camping with them and used <laughs> it at a campsite and I'm like, that is great uh-huh. <laughs> it's like uh-huh. a, a traveling hotel um but for for the introverted folks, you know it's just about doing whatever you need to do that serves as your rejuvenation recharging time.
1: Well, let's go back for a minute to people who are really depressed and who need clinical help Uh as opposed to just people who are a little sad about what's going on, which is pretty much everybody. Right. But there's a difference between natural sadness and clinical depression. Yes. And I wonder if you could First of all, speak to what that difference is, so how somebody would sort of get a sense of which category they, they fall in or their loved one falls in, and right. then what resources might be available.
0: Absolutely. So I would tell anyone if they suspect that they are suffering from depressive symptoms to seek out their primary care physician and ask for a referral to a mental health professional whether it be a psychiatrist, whether it be a licensed therapist, um, because what I want people to utilize is those around them that can better sense what's going on with them, just to make sure that they have access to a person that can help treatment plan and and help them sort through what's needed, whether medication is needed, um, how often they need to be in counseling sessions, et cetera.
1: People need to understand, I think, and are beginning to, that truly depressive symptoms are a treatable but serious physical. I guess would be the right word for it. Yes, um, set of set of symptoms. It's just an illness. It's like having a cold or something. You need to go deal with exactly. it.
0: Exactly. You know. Or exactly.
1: It's more of a chronic condition, but you know what I mean. It's like right. You, it's like there's not a shame in feeling depressed. No. Lots of people feel depressed. There's lots and lots of people who have clinical depression. It's right. treatable. Go get it treated, right?
0: That's right. Absolutely. And what I often will say to people in terms of, am I just dealing with sadness versus I'm depressed is as human beings, we are very uh, cyclical. We have a sleep cycle. We have a menstrual cycle. And what I like to refer to as a depression cycle and how I describe it is this. In a 30 day span, there is going to be a two to three day window, sometimes four day, depending on what's going on with you, where you may be so high energy um, throughout the other parts of the other days of that month. But that particular two to three day window. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to talk to anybody I just want to be at my house. I want to be on my couch. I want to watch my TV shows. I don't want to do anything that requires a lot of effort. That is not necessarily depression. That's more so what I refer to as a depressed cycle. It's just a period of time where you need to check out for a bit and kind of be with yourself, do things that you enjoy. Because we are oftentimes pulled in so many different directions, hustle bustle of day to day life that the pace to which we keep up with our schedules is pretty abnormal. 40 hour work week, sometimes people are working more than that, especially work from home folks or just people that are in managerial positions. You could easily work 60 hours a week, sometimes more. So that window of time is something that's really specific. The issue with chronic depression is when things that you enjoy are no longer enjoyable, hobbies that you may have had. You're not eating, you're not sleeping, or you're sleeping a lot to where you're missing work. You're not getting up to log into anything. You are not participating with family. People are calling to check on you. You're not answering the phone. And this is happening for weeks and weeks at a time. That's more of a, there's more going on here that has to be addressed. Yeah. The resources that are available, there are some measures that are able to give you a self-score um, mm. in terms of depression.
1: While you're pulling things up, I've got the National Suicide Prevention Hotline up here, and yes. that is a free 24-hour hotline, and you can reach it at one 800 273 Five, five. So if anybody who's listening to this is either feeling what Nikki just described or they have a family member who's acting the way Nikki just described, think it would be a real good thing to have access to that number and get some help.
0: Absolutely. There are self-scoring measures that are online. If you Google, you know, depression scales where you can, um, kind of take the test in a sense, it's, which isn't a test. It's just asking you a series of questions and you kind of rank zero to four, zero to three of how you feel. I feel this way never. I feel this way sometimes. I feel this way all the time. Right. And depending on your score, if it's on the higher end, then that's definitely the time to reach out, not only to the suicide prevention uh, hotline that you mentioned, but to your primary care physician or search therapists in your area because platforms like psychologytoday.com have a feature where you can search based on your zip code. Oh, um, great. Yeah, so it's it's not like you are completely isolated and alone. There are ways to combat, you know, any type of symptoms that you are feeling that don't feel right. And I always tell people, follow your gut, trust your feeling. If you feel as though, you know, you are um, really struggling, don't feel like yourself. It's okay to reach out and find someone that is a good fit for you to work through your, your troubles. And a therapist coupled with a psychiatrist for those that need medication because there is a chemical imbalance it, it has a, a higher rate of success when you couple them together and utilize them both.
1: Honestly, I don't know how we got to the point where people feel such shame about mental health issues, but yeah. it's really silly. And I really hope that people listening to this, if they are experiencing this stuff, they just get some help. It's fine. So many people go to therapy. It's a, it's a so great, many. great tool. It helps you at different points in your life. It's useful. You learn. It's wonderful. So I, I highly recommend it. I'm sure mm-hmm. you highly recommend it.
0: Absolutely. Even your therapist will have a therapist. You know, it's, it's yeah. one of those things where it's an unbiased person that you can troubleshoot things with that's not colored by, oh, I love you so much. Or, you know, they want the best for you. Your therapist will always want the best for you. But,
1: but they'll see you clearly because they're That's seeing right. you, they don't have a bunch of attachment going on.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's it's right.
1: really helpful. It's great. It is. Well, I think we should tell people where they can find out more about all this. I, I will put the links that you mentioned and a few more in the show notes. So sure. people can go to worklifeathome.com and easily find this information, but also they can go to your site. So tell them about where to go.
0: Yeah, so my website is Solace S-O-L-A-C-E Chateau C H A T E A U dot And there is a counseling resource page on my website that links to various organizations that I am affiliated with and not affiliated with, but I think their information is fantastic for various issues, whether you're dealing with depression, whether you're dealing with anxiety, stress, uh, substance abuse, family issues, relationship issues, it's all there. Another good site to utilize for those who... um, Are in dire straits, people that are furloughed, people that are unemployed. There's also an organization called Mm -hmm. OpenPathCollective.org, who is a national company and they partner with various therapists around the country to offer reduced rate services to those who are in need. They have a great platform. It is a membership based service, but you pay a one time, lifetime fee for membership and it basically follows you wherever you go.
1: Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I had not heard of that. That's just great. Glad yeah. to know that. Cool. And if they want to know more about you personally, where should they check out?
0: There is an about page on solacechateau.com, or I can be reached via email at nle at Beautiful.
1: Thank you. That's great. Nikki, it's been such a pleasure to do this. Thank you so much for taking the time and for enlightening us all on some of the best ways to cope with the current craziness.
0: Absolutely. Anytime. It's been an absolute pleasure. I can talk about this stuff all day. (laughs) (laughs) Great.
1: All right. Well, maybe we'll do it again. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for now. If you're new to working from home, you might want to check out worklifeathome.com, where you'll find articles, show notes, and, best of all, a community where you can ask questions and get some answers from people who've been doing this a while. We'd love to see you there. And I would be thrilled to hear what you think and find out who else you'd like to hear from on the show. You can email me at josh at worklifeathome.com. If you're enjoying work life at home, please do let your friends and coworkers know so they can subscribe. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon.